Welcome back to the Hemingway List Podcast for Buttonbrooks, Part 10, Chapter 3, I Loved. Tony reminiscing vicariously via Hannah at the end there. They should move to the beach. What a, what a good ending that would be for them just to get a sea change and move to the beach because all their happiest days seem to be at the beach. Jan Brunt says, beautiful memories of childhood days spent at the beach. Hi, Jan Brunt. Haven't seen you for a while. Good to see you. So based on my feeling that Hanno is a stand-in for the author, what does that say about Gerda's mysterious presence in the Buddenbrook orbit? She doesn't seem to defend Hanno from his bitter, overbearing father, yet she gives him a world of music and art that is fully separate from school and business, a refuge. They are very alike with their blue-tinted skin and retiring personalities. It almost feels like man is preserving his mother's dignity by refusing to imagine and write her inner thoughts. Tech says, I like that take. Hajia Moron says, that's some pretty brutal imagery slash symbolism at the end with Tony reminiscing about the jellyfish. I'm not sure I understand exactly what she means about getting the star from the jellyfish. Might be my translation. But I suppose it's to represent the idea of extracting something beautiful from something painful and ugly, the jellyfish, only to find that the beauty leaves with the pain, the jellyfish turning into seawater. It seems to suggest that the beauty can only exist in the midst of pain, but I suppose that is what Hanno is realising this chapter as he resolves to take solace in his friend and his music in the midst of dealing with his father, his tormentors and wasted jacketed schoolmasters. Tony really understands her nephew. Yeah, I think it was for me seemed like a bit of a metaphor for like appreciating the beauty of kind of just youthful freedom, you know, all the beauty that comes along with being young and at the beach and free. And if you try to hold on to that, you know, if you try to preserve it and keep it for yourself, it will dissolve into a stinky puddle on the floor. Um, But I just loved, aside from that metaphor, just, you know, I think before we read the chapter, I said something about how Tony um, had such a good time at the beach, so it's good that they're going back there, like that was the happiest place. And then for her nephew to go there and have such a good time and then she reminisces and I don't know it was just it was very well done I thought it stirred for me a sense of nostalgia for something that you know I only experienced a couple of weeks ago really so that's kind of cool chapter four goes like this in the beginning of the year 1873 the senate pardoned Hugo Winschenk and the former dis director left prison six months before his time was up. Frau Permanida, if she had told the truth, would have admitted that she was not so very glad. She had been living peacefully with her daughter and granddaughter in Linden Place and had for society the house in Fisher's Lane, and her friend Armgard von Mayboom, who had lived in the town since her husband's death. Frau Antoni had long been aware that there was no place for her outside the walls of her native city, She had her Munich memories, her weak digestion, and an increasing need for quiet and repose, and she felt not the least inclination to move to a large city 
of the United Fatherland, still less to migrate to another country. My dear child, she said to her daughter, I must ask you something very serious. Do you still love your husband with all your heart? Would you follow him with your child wherever he went in the wide world? As unfortunately, it is not possible for him to remain here. And Frau Erika Winchenk, amid tears that might have meant anything at all, replied just as dutifully as Tony herself in similar circumstances had once replied to the same question in the villa outside Hamburg, so it was necessary to contemplate a parting in the near future. On a day almost as dreadful as the day when he had been arrested, Frau Permanida brought her son-in-law from the prison in a closed carriage to her house in Linden Place, and there he stayed after he had greeted his wife and child in a dazed, helpless way, in the room that had been prepared for him, smoking from early to late, without going out, without even taking his meals with his family, a broken, grey-haired man. <clears throat> he had always had a very strong constitution, and the prison life could hardly have impaired his physical health, but his condition was nonetheless pitiable in the extreme. This man had in all probability done no more than his business colleagues did every day and thought nothing of it. If he had not been caught, he would have gone on his way with head erect and conscious clear. Yet it was dreadful to see how his ruin as a citizen and judicial correction and the three years' imprisonment had operated to break down his morale. His testimony before the court had been given with the most sincere conviction, and people who understood the technicalities of the case supported his contention that he had merely executed a bold manoeuvre for the credit of his firm and himself, a manoeuvre known in the business world as usance. The lawyers who had convicted him knew, in his opinion, nothing whatever about such things and lived in, a quiet, in quite a different world, but their conviction, endorsed by the governing power of the state, had shattered his self-esteem to such a degree that he could not look anybody in the face. Gone was the elastic tread, the way he had of wriggling at the waist of his frock coat and unbalancing with his fists and rolling his eyes about. Gone was the ignorant self-assurance with which he had <clears throat> delivered his uniformed opinions and put his questions. The change was such that his family shuddered at it, and indeed it was frightful to see such cowardice for dejection and lack of self-respect. Her Hugo Weinschenk spent eight or ten days doing nothing but smoking, then he began to read the papers and write letters. The consequence of the letters was that after another eight or ten days he explained vaguely that there seemed to be a position for him in London, whether he wished to travel alone or arrange matters personally, and then to send for wife and child. Accompanied by Erica, he drove to the station in a closed carriage and departed without having once seen any other members of the family. Some days later, a letter addressed to his wife arrived from Hamburg. It said that he had made up his mind not to send for his wife and child or even to communicate with them until such time as he could offer them a life fitting for them to live. And this letter was the very last sign of life from Hugo Winchenk. No one from the hence, then henceforth heard anything from him. The experienced Frau Permanita made several energetic attempts to get in touch with him in order, as she importantly explained, to get evidence upon which to sue him for divorce on the ground of willful desertion, but he was and remained missing. And thus it came about that Erica Winschenk and her small daughter Elizabeth remained now as before with Erica's mother in the light and airy apartment 
in Linden Place. Well, there we go. That's that chapter for you, short and sweet. That's it. He's off. Gone into hiding. Maybe died. Maybe started a new family. Who knows? All right, folks. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.